Have you ever had to give your credentials for something? Maybe if you're going for a job interview, you have to show your qualifications. Like if you're a teacher, then you have to show your teaching certificate, but you also have to prove your classroom experience. If you go for a management job, then you might need some qualification in management, but you also have to show evidence of experience. I remember being at school and working on my record of achievement, my ROA in year 11, and it was this brown leather bound folder which would contain all my certificates when I finished school, plus evidence of all sorts of extracurricular activities that I'd done. It had um, things from my teachers in it. I had to write a personal statement which seemed to take forever to write. And it felt like the most important thing in the world. It felt like the most important thing I would ever own at the time. But I'm pretty sure now it's maybe upstairs in a box in the attic or something. I haven't needed it since leaving school. Today is the final talk in our Philippians series, and it's all about credentials. So just to recap, Philippians is a letter and it's written uh, by Paul to his friends in the church in in Philippi. Paul is in prison um, at the time of writing the letter, and it's a letter full of encouragement, full of love. And each week we've been looking at a different theme from the book of Philippians. And these are messages that I feel are from God to encourage us. So the first message that we had was one of abounding love. I think God is leading us deeper into um, love as a community, love for Jesus, love from Jesus and love for each other. A love that is kind and patient and doesn't boast and um, doesn't envy. And the second message was about receiving a fresh supply of the Spirit. I think God is inviting us to go deeper with the Holy Spirit, to make more time to sit in the presence of the Spirit and for that to be our fuel, our engine in everything that we do. And then last week we looked at the word and I think God is inviting us into a season when we will press into the word more and we will know it deeper. So let's have a look now at Philippians 3 and we're going to start at verse 4. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 
So Paul is addressing here a specific situation that was going on in Philippi at the time. So you had believers in the church who were of a Jewish background and there were also believers that were not of a Jewish background and these people were called Gentiles. And the Jews in the church um, were saying to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people, that it wasn't enough to just believe in Jesus, that they needed to take part in some of the traditions and the rituals of the Jewish faith in order to be saved. And the main ritual was circumcision. And so they were putting confidence in the fact that they were Jewish and that circum circumcision was vital to be saved. And obviously we know that this isn't true, that we are saved by faith in Jesus. But part of this letter, Paul is using to address this false belief that was being banded around at the time. And I love how he really goes for it. Like he doesn't mince his words here. He absolutely smashes through those beliefs. So it's really, really clear. He starts by saying, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, so in circumcision, I have more. So basically, he's saying for anyone who thinks you have to be Jewish to be saved, I am more Jewish than you. He's like, don't tell me you have to be Jewish to be saved because I know everything there is to know about being Jewish. I am the most Jewish. And then he gives his credentials to prove it. He says, circumcised on the eighth day, the people of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. So Paul is not just circumcised, but it was done on the eighth day, as it says should be done in Leviticus. He also knows that his family tree leads to the people of Israel. And not just that, not just the people of Israel, but he can trace his genealogy to the tribe of Benjamin, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Benjamin was the youngest son of Jacob and the brother of Joseph. He was born Hebrew to Hebrew parents, Hebrews of Hebrews is what he says, Hebrew of Hebrews. Um, most Jews at the time were Hellenistic Jews. They were, so that meant they were Greek speaking, but Paul was a purist. He would and could read the Torah in the original language. He then describes himself as a Pharisee in regard to the law, which means the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Pharisees were the were first century religious sect who were fanatical about the Torah. They knew it inside out. They knew the law. They knew exactly what it said in that. And that is Paul. He knows that really, really well. That was his background. And finally, he describes himself as zealous, which means fueled by religious passion. There was an actual group called the Zealots who would fight and kill for Jewish religion. But Paul wasn't an actual Zealot. He wasn't part of that group, but he certainly had zeal. We know his Jewish name was Saul, named after the first king of Israel, and he certainly lived by the law. He, before 
um, meeting Jesus, he persecuted Christians with all that zeal that he had. And he had actually been on track to be one of the greatest Jewish leaders of all times. He was headed for the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish court, and he was very, very well known at the time. These are big credentials. He is speaking when he's writing this letter to Jewish people who are spreading false beliefs that you needed to be circumcised, you needed to partake in Jewish rituals to be saved. And he is absolutely saying, it does not matter how Jewish you are. I am more Jewish. So whatever you're saying about being Jewish, I know more than you. And he's got their attention. He's proved himself so they would be listening. And then here it comes, the killer line. But whatever were gains to me, so all those things that I've just named that that we would consider gains, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. So he says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So all those things that the Jewish community is counting as a gain, the fact that he's been circumcised, his ancestry to the tribe of Benjamin, not many people would be able to track back to to be able to say that they were in the tribe of Benjamin or any of the tribes. All of that list of gains, all of that gets moved from the gains column to the loss column column if we're using an accounting metaphor. All of that is now a loss when you compare it to the worth of knowing Jesus. It doesn't count. It's even worse than that. It is a loss. It not just doesn't count. It's an actual loss. It's worthless. It doesn't mean anything. So what if I'm a relative of Benjamin? Who cares if I can read Hebrew? This is a loss to me when I think about how amazing it is to know Jesus. And if Paul knows about loss, he's given up so much. So he really does know about loss. Um, and his, he's lost his power, he's lost his standing in Jewish community, he's lost his job, he's lost everything. And then he goes on to say, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ Jesus and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. So not having, I can't earn my own righteousness, um, not by knowing the law, by knowing the word, but that which is through faith in Christ, that is the righteousness. He says the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So the original Greek word used at the very start of that bit that I just read, I consider them garbage. The the original Greek word that was used was skubalon, the word skubalon. Um, So my kids, age eight and ten, are at an age where they are discovering swear words and they quite enjoy it, particularly Aaron who's eight. He's a bit of a rebel and he quite enjoys discovering swear words and occasionally using them to see what happens. They think they know all the words, they don't. 
Um, but we as parents have tried to remain open. We try not to react in a really shocked way when, when talking about words. We've tried to explain them. Um, we take the sting out of it by not overreacting. But to be honest, also, we try not to laugh too much when, when they say them in, in like a really random context that doesn't make sense or they use them to be funny and they, they are quite funny. Our kids are. I'm not saying swear words are funny. I'm saying when your kid begins to use swear words, it's funny. Um, and obviously we just, we just want to like not react and not, not laugh, not be shocked. And hopefully this stage will pass. So last week I was telling my, um, my boys about this part of the letter and I told them about this word scubalon and I said to them, it's been translated here as garbage, but that doesn't really seem to do the word justice. That's not like the kind of the best translation of that word. Um, and so I was describing to them how ancient cities like Philippi would have, they were filthy, you know, like there were no sewers, there was no drainage, that it would basically, there would just be a ditch. And every city had something called the dung gate, where the sewage would flow out and it would be like human waste and rubbish and fluids and like, you know, all the rank stuff. And the name for all that stuff was Scubalon. Um, so, uh, I asked Aaron, who's eight, if he could think of a better word than garbage. So this word scubalon, what, what could we think of a better word of that? And he was like, oh, I don't know. I'd suggest rubbish. And I was like, mm, it's kind of worse than rubbish though, isn't it? Like, think about it. It's human waste. It's poo. It's wee. It's like all the disgusting stuff. Kind of needs like a stronger word to go here and he was thinking about it he couldn't really come up with anything and then suddenly his face lit up and he said can it be a rude word and I said yeah I think it needs to be a rude word and with the biggest smile on on his face he said you see the word scubalon really does mean that I mean if I said this word in some churches, I would get the scubalon kicked out of me, if you get my meaning. So Paul says, compared to knowing Jesus, all of this is scubalon. The, the credentials, the ancestry, the knowledge, the training, the status, the way people view him, it's all scubalon compared to knowing Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus. Can we say the same? I don't think any of us have Jewish credentials like Paul does, but we might have some Christian credentials. Like maybe you were born to a Christian family. Maybe you're a seventh generation Christian in your family. Maybe your parents, your grandparents and so on have all been followers of Jesus, all been baptised. Maybe you've been to Bible college or you did a year out in uh, in ministry or in like a mission organisation like YVAM. Maybe you've done the Bible in a year and you've so you've actually managed to read the whole Bible, which is amazing. Maybe you've done that more than once. All of these, of course, are brilliant discipleship tools that will have an impact on our lives and on our faith and on our fruit. But let's remember, all of that is scubalon compared to the personal relationship we have with Jesus. 
Because Paul says, none of those things will make us righteous. Not one of those things can bring us into a right relationship with God. Only Jesus will do that. And that's the gain for us. Through Jesus, we are adopted into God's family. I wonder how often we really think about that. How often does it occur to you that you are adopted? We refer to God as our Father, the Father, Father in heaven, and we maybe can become a little bit complacent about it. Like, of course he's our father. It's easy to forget that there's an adoption process that happens, which means there was a choice and a commitment. I've got a few different friends actually who have adopted children and some I have journeyed with quite closely and it's wonderful to see the process happen. There's obviously lots that has to happen before someone can be cleared to adopt um, and that can be quite a long process um, before uh, sort of being cleared to adopt which is called going to panel and then uh, can be a long process again to get matched with a child. But once the potential matching has happened, the journey is an amazing one. There are FaceTimes with the child, there's FaceTimes with their foster parents that they're currently living with, there are phone calls, you find out all sorts of information about the child, you know, what they like, what they like to play with, the foods they like to eat, all that kind of thing. You like suddenly have to know everything. Then you've got to buy things, you've got to get yourself ready, like, you know, you need a cot, you need a pram, maybe if they're small children, toys, you need clothes, you need the right food in, you need to get your house ready for them, you have more FaceTimes and then slowly some face-to-face visits, you get to meet them, you get to play with them, they become more regular, they come to your home for a few hours so you get to just be on your own with them, then you visit them for a week and you have quite intense time with them and then suddenly the day arrives that you take them home. And they stay. And suddenly your home is their home. And all that new stuff that you just bought becomes theirs. And the journey's over. I mean, the journey's only just beginning and there's a whole legal process that needs to happen. But it can feel so final because it's like building up and building up and building up and building up. And then suddenly they're they're yours. Like one day they weren't there and the next day they are. And from that moment on, not only have they become part of the smaller family, but they've been adopted into something so much bigger. They've got grandparents, they've got aunties and uncles, maybe cousins and second cousins. And they've got parents, friends that they call auntie, even though they're not actually related. Many of my friends that have adopted are Christians and so those children are also adopted into the church and they're now part of the church family, part of the kids work, just part of the chaos that happens and it's like that for us. The moment we say yes to Jesus, it's like the moment an adopted child comes home, we become part of something that is so much bigger than ourselves. We become part of God's family, chosen by him. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. We've got grandparents and um, parents in Christ. When you start to follow Jesus, you gain a brand new righteousness. By faith, you are a son of God, not because 
of the Torah or being Jewish or any of your own credentials. Are you in the right? Are you adopted by God? Does God see you as his righteous son or daughter? Not because of the things you have, but because of your faith in Jesus. What are our equivalents of the Jewish customs? How do we compare ourselves to other people? Do we look at others and think, yeah, they believe in Jesus, but you know what? They still get drunk, so they're not really Christians. Do we think of ourselves as more Christian, maybe because we've been believers for longer? Have we created like a set of boxes that need to be ticked to be a real Christian? Or do you do that in reverse? Maybe you think you're not as good as others, not as Christian, not as faithful because of X, Y and Z. Our righteousness only comes from Jesus. Everything I had that were gains are now a loss. The fact that I have been a Christian for 18 years, loss. The fact that I teach the Bible regularly, loss. My marriage, my kids, my job, all a loss compared to knowing Jesus. Oh gosh, that is hard to say, but it has to be true. And so the final invitation in this series that I think God is extending to us is to keep faith in Jesus. Let us not lose sight of all that Jesus has done for us and the, the, the fact that we are adopted into his family. Let's not let other things rise up and be more important than him. Let us not let pride get in the way of him. Let us not place more weight on material things or heritage or ancestry than the relationship we have with Jesus. Let us know that all of that is scubalon. Everything else in our lives is scubalon compared to having a relationship with him.